Articles by Desiring God Jellyfish Christians The Cost of Thin Christianity Written and read by Greg Morse It was a rousing mid-sermon rebuke, the kind to make you sit up in your pew. Jesus being made perfect, the preacher continued, became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And this Jesus was, of course, designated by God a high priest over the order of Melchizedek. The congregation doesn't hide puzzled expressions. He pauses. Melchizedek who? Their sleepy faces wondered. Order of Melchizedek? The king of Salem? King of righteousness? Priest of the Most High who blesses Abraham? in whose line the Messiah will serve as a priest forever? Maybe if he had said, the order of the phoenix, some might have recollected better. But Melchizedek guarded little familiarity. At this, he departs from his manuscript, walks around the pulpit, and looks them in the eye. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Hebrews 5, 11-14 These grown men and women, Christians for some time now, started off well. Yet still they needed doctrinal milk and not solid food. Although by now they should have been sharp on how the Christian should read his Old Testament, their dull ears, literally sluggish, made them perpetual students taking the same courses over and over. The author of Hebrews expected them to uncover messianic treasures, pointing irreversibly to Jesus in the deeps of God's word. Instead, they were still treading water on the surface. Believers on the bottle. Do texts like Hebrews 5, 11 through 14 not vindicate for all time the careful study of God's word, a hearty adherence to the whole counsel of God, a glad obedience to the fullness of his teachings? If the specifics of an enigmatic figure in Genesis 14, in Hebrews 1, 10, one who many today might be tempted to deem obscure or irrelevant, has its place within the Christian mind, how much more the more conspicuous points. Yet how many small groups, or Sunday school classes, or Bible studies around the Western world today know much, if anything, about Psalm 110 and the priestly order of Melchizedek, of its significance compared to the Aaronic order? The question grows sharpest, however, when we ask how many want to know. How many of us, through disobedience and stagnancy, become dull of hearing? Some modern minds seem to enshrine ignorance of finer points of Christian thought and doctrine as a Christian virtue. Particulars of Christian dogma they see as only useful to fracture, puff up, or make one useless in this world. Seminaries, in their view, are better called cemeteries. For higher education is where passion and love go to die. God's truth, 
that stubborn and imperishable reality that shall outlive the stars, has fallen on hard times with them. They do not wish to draw unwelcome lines, and what's more, they believe this to be a very charitable and beautiful thing in the world. They seem altogether proud of their non-denominational, non-doctrinal, non-distinctive, and non-divisive faith. This, they say, is Christianity at its finest. Death, they cry, to circling round and round in endless debate over texts and theological jargon. Back to what Jesus gave us, a religion of love. So much fighting exists already. They preach unity. Everywhere they see bitterness and rage. Why should they argue? The most expedient thing to do in a world of conflicting opinions, especially about religion, is to cast particulars of Christian interpretation and, in some cases, religion itself overboard. Lovers of first grade. Carried away by fancied liberality and charity, J.C. Ryle wrote in 1877. They seem to think everybody is right and nobody is wrong. Every clergyman is sound and none are unsound. Everybody is going to be saved and nobody is going to be lost. Their religion is made up of negatives and the only positive thing about them is that they dislike distinctives and think all extreme and decided and positive views are very naughty and very wrong. What it means that God predestines unto salvation that Christ is the only way, that you must be born again, that by works of the law none will be justified, that God's design entails differences between men and women seems so small from their lofty perch. Faintly they hear the combative chirping over particular views, but what is that to them? Catholic, Protestant, spiritual but not religious, they see nothing really all that different in the end. Different shades of gray, they might call it. They love doctrinal milk, love the first grade. Their vague creed of love sends them away from the controversy, away from laborious study, away from loving God with all their mind, away from such trivialities as the order of Melchizedek, indeed away from the Bible itself, beyond a favorite verse or two. And some take this to be more Christ-like because it fosters unity better, or at least it's thought, than a religion filled with doctrinal detail. Good Vibes Christianity Christian teaching does divide. It separates self-made religion from heavenly, all other gospels from the true one, the proud from the humble, the false from the true, the goats from the sheep, the unsound from the sound, the passing away from the eternal, the teaching of demons, and the teachings of Christ. Christians ought to be Berean, lovers of God's word, lovers of stake. What is true of the nobler Jew has been true of the noble Christian throughout history. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. But what of our unity? It is precious a gift from above not based on vague spiritualism or good vibes. Real unity does not seek to discover how little can be believed. No, 
we embrace the true and love the whole counsel of God. Love for others is nourished by doctrinal meat, by scripture, all of scripture, without abridgment or apology. As we confess in the Desiring God affirmation of faith, our aim is to encourage a hearty adherence to the Bible, the fullness of its truth, and the glory of its author. This alone stabilizes saints in the wind of confusion and strengthens the church in her mission to meet the great systems of false religion and secularism. We will not agree to a man on every point. Some distinctions will separate us from weekly fellowship together. But even then, the church's superseding oneness in Christ make our unity stronger than it ever could have been in untruth, error, or apathy, in clawing for the least common denominator, rather than turning our souls to God's word as supreme and then finding out who our fellows are. The Need of the Hour Our souls need more than little truth, little light, little belief. Our soul needs a feast of pure meat and holy potatoes to gird us up for life's hardships. Milk and water theological minimalism may sustain infants, but not for long. We must charge home into the consciences of these men of broad views, as Ra'al put it, and demand a plain answer to some plain questions. We must ask them to lay their hands on their hearts and tell us whether their favorite opinions comfort them in the day of sickness, in the hour of death, by the bedside of dying parents, by the grave of a beloved wife or child. We must ask them whether a vague earnestness without definite doctrine gives them peace at times like these. And our neighbors, co-workers, and family members need to be met with weighty truths, broad-shouldered beliefs, and a living faith in the living Savior, all of which give us reason to smile and not frown. What Ryle calls the spiritual colorblindness, that fancied liberality, that boneless, nerveless, jellyfish condition of soul, that pestilence which walks in darkness, a destruction that kills at noonday, cannot be the religion that turned the world upside down. Ryle states, Mark what I say, if you want to do good in these times, you must throw aside indecision and take up a distinct, sharply cut doctrinal religion. The victories of Christianity, wherever they have been won, have been won by distinct doctrinal theology, by telling men roundly of Christ's vicarious death and sacrifice, by showing them Christ's substitution on the cross and his precious blood by teaching them justification by faith and bidding them believe on a crucified Savior, by preaching ruin by sin, redemption by Christ, regeneration by the Spirit, by lifting up the brazen serpent, by telling men to look and live and believe, repent, and be converted. Dare then, Christian, to have decided views in this world. Satan and his demons are decided. The world is concrete in its creed. False teachers are bold in their belief. Those attempting to uncreate God's reality are firmly concluded, will we not be? And in such courage, 
we will not find ourselves alone but flanked by real fellows with true unity. For more resources, visit DesiringGod.org.